0: I would like to tell you uh, the story of a patient that I saw on Monday. This patient I will call Bill. That's not his real name, but I will call him Bill. Bill came to me uh, for a follow-up visit. He was relatively recently diagnosed with MS, multiple sclerosis, struggles greatly with the pain that multiple sclerosis can bring. He struggles even more so probably with the loss of function, the loss of ability to work. Prior to this, he was a contractor, uh, worked hard, loved to work, told me at one time that he's experienced in his life what normal people uh, would experience in three lives. And as, I was t- as he was talking, he, sa- he said, you know, I feel guilty. I just don't, it's not right. His wife is a PA and sees me as well. He says, I feel guilty that I'm at home taking care of the kids. I should be out there working. I should be out there you know, making the money. And as I listened to him, I asked if I could challenge him. I said, Bill, could I challenge you today? Could I challenge you by telling a story? And so I did. He said, yes, that would be fine. So I told him. I told him about myself. I said, you know, I haven't always liked medicine. In fact, sometimes I've rather strongly disliked it. And I told him how soon after I'd moved to Klamath Falls, I actually took a half day off work and went to a career workshop at OIT, which is one of our technical colleges in the town. I went to a career workshop looking for something different besides medicine. And it pasted me off in somewhere. I don't remember what it was, but it was nothing I was interested in. I went home, and I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed, and said, God, please let me out of medicine. This is not fulfilling. This is not fun. I don't enjoy this. Please let me out of medicine. I told him how I finally understood that God had said, no, I want you in medicine. And then I further shared with him how the the struggle that I had, because I could realistically, in my mind's eye, I could see no way whatsoever that medicine would make me happy. And I shared with him how I finally decided, "Okay, God, I think you know more than I do. I mean, it's kind of a ludicrous thought, but really, we, we do. We question God sometimes. I said, God. I think you know more than I do. I can't see any way that medicine will make me happy, but I have understood you do this, and so I will do it. And as I related that experience to him, I could see him choking up a little bit. He was holding back the tears a a, a little bit. And I challenged him. I said, you know, if God has something for me to do, when it seemed like there was nothing I wanted to do. I said, I think God actually has something for you to do, even though you have multiple sclerosis, even though you can't work as a contractor, and even though you're struggling with pain. He bounced back to me just like that. He said, I know what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to be at home. I'm supposed to be helping my children. And I'm supposed to be the homebody. I'm supposed to be writing a book. He says, I hate writing that book. He says, the tears just flow out of my eyes. People read it, and they say it's excellent, and I hate every minute of it. I said to him, could I ask you one more question? One thing I forgot. When I was telling him about myself, I told him I am now at complete peace, because I am. I know I am doing what God wants me to do. And he was, he was a little bit misty-eyed. He said, I want that peace. He says, that's what I'm looking for. He says, even I even mention it in my book. He says, I call it an effervescent peace. He, he can't find it. He's looked, he's looked, he's, he can't find it. He said, I want that peace. So we went on and we talked. And I said, can I ask you one other question? And he said, uh, he said, yes, you can. I said, have you surrendered everything to God? Have you absolutely given everything to God? He shook his head, no. He says, I haven't. I says, I guarantee you, when you do that, you will find peace. You will find the peace that I have. He says, and I got up because our time was up. He says, thank you. I enjoyed this very much. He says, I'll be thinking about this for a long time. The title of my presentation is The Lost Element in Whole Person Care. And I'm going to suggest to you that we talk about the physical, and we talk about the emotional, and we talk about all these things, but how often do we talk about the spiritual? I find my physician colleagues oftentimes much more, intra- or much more comfortable with taking an intimate sexual history than they do ever breathing the word God, or Lord, or church. Friends, this ought not to be would be my suggestion to you. Did you know, actually, the previous lectures have done an excellent job of of demonstrating the, the science behind spirituality. Neil Nedley talked about that. There's been several comments on that. There's 150, 200 studies on spirituality in 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 medicine and the overall preponderance of it all is there's a definite positive impact if you're strong spiritually you're strong physically if you're strong uh, and if you're weak uh, physically chances are you may be not as strong spiritually so from a scientific point of of, uh, perspective spirituality is good medicine and i will sit there and tell the patients that i will say you know science shows us This is good stuff. This will help you physically. You will get better by understanding this. And they're open to it. They're understanding of that. So having said that, it is my belief that we should all be integrating spirituality into our practices. Now, the way I do it and the stories that I'm going to share with you today is my way of doing it, and I've lived long enough to know that my style will not match all of yours. It will not be a complete fit. But my hope and prayer is that some of the things that I, that I explained to you, you will be able to, to grasp and to take home and say, yeah, that fits me. I could do that. And that you'll go home and that you'll begin integrating the spiritual into your practice. So this is not a highly scientific le- lecture. Sit back, relax. It's story time. The first story is a patient whom I will call George. George and I had visited on many occasions. George struggles with anxiety and depression. George struggles with his ex-wife. His wife divorced him. He can't get over her. He still loves her. He still wants her to come back, and she's not coming back. And as a result, he struggles with the anxiety, with the depression, and with this type of thing. His anxiety is manifested in a rather unique way with urinary frequency, and at first I couldn't figure this out. You know, he was urinating every 10, 15, 20 minutes. There's something wrong. I gave him some benzodiazepines, and his urinary frequency was gone, just completely resolved, which caused me to believe that this was all anxiety-related. Well, as I talked with George, and as I introduced him to the concept of spirituality, he was willing. He liked those ideas. He understood them. He said, yes, yes, that's what I want. So I'd give him a name, you know, consider this, or you're welcome to come to a Bible study here, or this person would love to help you with Bible studies. Months would go by, I'd see him again. Have you done anything with it? No, I'd encourage him again. Months would go by. And the sequence went on and on. And I'm like, wow, here's a person who wants the spiritual, who desperately needs the spiritual, who says he wants it, but he won't he won't access it. You've given him all the tools, but he won't access it. Now what? Well, one of my maxims or principles or phrases, I'll be giving you several today, but one of my favorite lines is, I want to encourage you, but I don't want to push you. In fact, stop me if I ever start to push you. Well, what does that do? That tells the patient, they're in control. They can say, stop, and, and I will stop. But until then, I can continue to encourage. So I used that with George. I says, you know, I want to encourage you, but I don't want to push you. But this and this and this and this has happened. What do you want me to do? Do you want me to? Because I had encouraged and encouraged and encouraged until the point I was thinking this is pushing, which I don't want to do. He says, no, no, I need this. Well, I like to double-check myself, because I don't want to get uh, to be pushy with spirituality. That's not a good situation. So I double-check it by one that I'll tell another story about, but by asking permission. I said, are you sure this is okay? Am I pushing too hard? Is this too much for you? No, no, no. I need this. Well, I confronted him. I just said, I have given you the tools. I have done this. I have done this. Do you know what you're doing? And I pasted it out pretty firm to him. You're choosing Satan. You are not choosing God. Do you realize that? And I've asked for a commitment. I usually don't do that. So this time, I almost violated my own rule. Encourage, don't push. I got by with it because I got permission, and I repeatedly asked, can I continue to talk with you? Yes, yes, please keep. I need this. So I asked for a commitment. He says, I want you to make that phone call to this person who's willing to give Bible studies. He'd said he is comfortable with it, he'd like the idea. He says, I will do that by Sunday. Well, I found out later he didn't do it by Sunday, but five days later he actually did make the phone call. So, you know, but one of the, the take home messages encourage patients, don't push them, and give them permission to stop you if you ever trespass that line. And for some patients, for my patient, George, I actually went pretty far toward pushing. Other patients, an encouragement would hardly do anything. Other patients, when you think you're just encouraging them, they all feel pushed. So you ask them, you, you you, you turn the ball into their court. You say, you stop me if I ever start pushing. Real quick, I had a patient with a cervical strain well, I was talking about spiritual things. She had an abusive husband, and she, tears were just streaming down her face. I said to her, am I pushing you too hard? Am I, do, do, should I stop? And she's like bawling, bawling, bawling in the tears, and she's nodding her head. Yes, please stop. So what did I do? I stopped. Week later, two weeks later, three weeks later, I said, we really need to talk about this. Yes, we do, and I want to talk about it. So the timing was wrong. You listen to them. They will direct you and tell you how much they can handle or can't handle. Principle number one, ask, uh, encourage, but don't push. The second little phrase that I use very frequently and that helps me to introduce the spiritual component with my patients is a phrase, could I challenge you today? And I use that all the time, actually. And I've even started to use it outside of the patient circle. I'm using it everywhere I find myself. And it works very well. This story is told of Louise. She came to me having a recent diagnosis of diabetes because, once again, she had uh, gained weight. Further history showed that she had actually lost 100 pounds on two different occasions. Now, most of my patients can't lose 10, 15, 20 pounds. This Louise had lost 100 pounds on two different occasions. And I was impressed by that. That's that's strong work. Not to mention all the times that she had lost 30, 40, 50 pounds, which is a whole bunch more. But now Louise was in my office with a diagnosis of diabetes because, once again, she was gaining weight. My MA who I believe God has sent to me, also is interested in integrating spirituality with my patients. So she had talked with uh, Louise about spiritual things. My MA left, I walked in, and, my, and, and Louise was ready. She wanted to hear what I had to say. So as I talked with her, I congratulated her on her willpower that was obviously evident to lose 100 pounds on two different occasions. That's more than most people do. I congratulated her and praised her for that. I said, strong work. I said, could I suggest, though, that perhaps you're fighting the wrong battle? She was, she was interested. What? What's going on here? How could I be fighting the wrong battle? And I suggested to her, I think you might be fighting the battle of appetite. And you can see that you can win, but it's only temporary. Have you ever considered fighting the battle of the will, the battle of surrender? I said, I'm going to suggest to you that if you would surrender everything to God, if you would give your appetite to God, leave it there, and fight the fight of surrender, fight the battle of the will, I'm going to suggest that the appetite would just kind of drift into oblivion. It'd just go away. It wouldn't be there. She listened closely to me, and she said, you know, doctor, I think that might be right. Thank you. I hadn't thought of that. And she went home with a new battle to fight, and one that I believe she'll be victorious with. I went on to give her a little clue. And you might want to use this. I don't know. Have, have any of you heard of Elder Clarence Schultz? Schultz? Yes, yeah. Retired now, recently retired from the Oregon Conference. Um, he has a book out, a DVD, How to Die right and live to tell about it. How to die right and live to tell about it. For this particular patient, I suggested that to her. Now, this is a fairly Adventist DVD, and, 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 and Louise is actually Catholic, <laughs> but I still felt that maybe this would be an appropriate thing, because it dealt with surrender and how to conquer self and how to be a victorious and an overcoming individual. So I suggested that to you, and I would recommend that for you. If you haven't seen that, it's an excellent uh, DVD set. I bought it for myself, actually, and have enjoyed it very much. Principle number two, could I challenge you today? It'll work, I think you'll find, very frequently. It'll give you the permission, and it will allow you to integrate The spiritual with your patients, and sometimes what, and and I'll use variations on it. I'll say, "Could I challenge you today?" Or "Could I challenge you today in a spiritual way?" Or you know, "Could I challenge you today? uh, Where are you with God?" You know, some of these type of things. So you can twist it and and manipulate it, and, and it works. It works well. I will be honest with you. I have found when I do not get permission, you're in trouble. Patients get angry with you. I've had patients leave me. It doesn't work well. But if you get permission, you can tell him almost anything. I had a patient a long time ago in Portland who asked me what I thought about being gay. And I told him what the Bible said about him, basically told him he was all wrong and all wet. And he walked out of that office saying, thank you. It's an amazing thing. you know. Get permission, and you can say and do a lot. Story number three, I don't have a favorite line for this, but nevertheless, it's applicable. Allow the spirit to work through through you. And I have actually two stories for this one, and I'll tell you, and one is not a patient story. How many of you have kids in here? Most of you have had children. Anyone realize that children can push your buttons and aggravate you and... Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Well, I have children, and my children, unfortunately, are able to do the same. So one day, my children had done this to me, and I had sent them into the room, and I was in there to talk to them. And they had bunk beds, and I was sitting there, and I had the presence of mind to say, You know, I need God's help on this. So I said, God, you know, please help me. And this happened several years ago. It really sticks out in my memory to this day, because out of my mouth came phrases that I don't usually use, words that I don't usually use, intonation, the inflection in my voice was very different. And it was so different and and so unusual that I was almost surprising myself. I'm like, who's talking? Because it was just not me. And what I would suggest to you is that the Spirit will speak through you. And in fact, Matthew talks about that. He talks about when we're brought before governors and kings in time of trouble type thing. Don't worry about what to say. The spirit will speak to you. Well, now when you're dealing with patients and and, and kids, I realize you're not before governors and kings, but the same principle applies. If you will allow God, if you'll surrender, he will speak through you and the right words will come out. The story is told of Jane. Jane came to me from another physician having been fired for a violation of, yes, a narcotics contract. Not your favorite patient. Not the one you want to see coming through your door. Furthermore, Jane was crying all the time. I mean, just the last person you wanted to see. What am I supposed to do? Well. I had said, okay, because I was trying to give these type of patients a second chance. So Jane became my patient. Jane actually was also Catholic, and through the course of time, we, we, started, we started conversing and, and, and talking about spiritual things, and she appreciated it. I offered her Bible studies, and she accepted them and started taking them. And I thought, wow, this is good. This is going forward. Then one day she came to me, and she said, you know... I'm going to have to stop the Bible studies. And I said, why? She says, well, my Catholic family, they're really pressuring me hard. I'm not supposed to be doing this. I'm studying with you know, somebody not of the Catholic family. This is wrong. You can't do this. I said, OK, that's fine, but you're in trouble. Now, who would say you're in trouble? That's not me. That's not what I usually say. She said, you're in, I said, you're in trouble. I believe the Spirit was speaking through me again. And I said, you're in trouble. And she looked at me with surprise, what? I'm in trouble? I says, yes, you're in trouble. Well, you see, Jane and I had previously talked. And and she understood that some of the dogmas of the Catholic Church were actually not biblical. One was confession. And I I brought that to her attention. I says, you already don't believe what the church is teaching. And you're going to go back to that? She says, you're right. But at least I know who to come to when I have questions. I have one other thing that I didn't have in my script that I wasn't going to tell, but I'll share it with you. Jane also said she taught me a really important thing. She said to me one time, she came in to me now, you understand how I didn't particularly like this patient? You know, you kind of dread opening the door and walking in. She's going to be crying. She's obese. She's depressed. She's narcotics. <laughs> you, know, you don't want these patients. <laughs> so I went in one time, and she blew me off my seat almost. She said, Dr. Heidinger? you've done more for me than any other doctor. Well, I knew how I felt about her. It wasn't good. It wasn't right. And she said, you've done more for me than any other doctor. I managed to compose myself enough to stammer out, well, why, what? And she said, it seems like you care. Now, I'm not quite sure why she appeared to think that I cared. Except to say, God covered up the ill feelings in me, and she saw something different. I was trying to give her a second chance, as, you know, something. But I learned an important lesson. This is outside of my, my normal script. The important lesson is what I learned is great medicine is good stuff, science is good stuff, but you know what really heals? Love, care, compassion. That's what did more for her than anything else I did. OK, back to the point of the story, though. The point of the story was, if we will allow God, he will speak through us. He will change our verbiage, our tone, our phrases. He will ju- adjust it accordingly so you can tell a patient you're in trouble, or so you can talk to your children, or so you can talk to you know, the man in the auto garage while you're waiting for your tires to be fixed. Story number four listening for god talk do all of you know what god talk is do you know how i'm using that i'm going to define god talk as a patient who comes into you and says church god the lord any innuendo reference or analogy to a spiritual thing that's your cue grab it and run with it you'll be fine so they can say you know i was in church on sunday and you know I was feeling a little anxious, and my heart was beating hard. Oh, what church were you at? Where do you go to church? Bingo. You're right into the spiritual, and you'll go far with it, and they're appreciative, and they're happy with that. Story is of, this one I can use the real name, Terry. Terry is a patient of mine. She came to me about a year ago. You're going to think all I do is narcotics, because once again, she was in for narcotics. Um, she also has a history of uh, alcohol abuse and was an AA member so she came in to me and she was talking about uh, a higher power well I picked up on that spiritual reference boom do you believe in God well yes I believe in God well what church do you go to well I haven't been going to any church recently but I used to go to blah 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 and da says well what what do you what do you want what are you looking for she says I want something contemporary and I looked at her, and I said, you know, I'd be happy to invite you to my church. But I don't know if you'd like it, because my church is anything but contemporary. And it's true. So I'd be always very honest with my patients. If I don't think they'll like it, I'll tell them that. I said, I'd be happy to invite you, but it's not contemporary. Terry kind of stammered around, ah, rrr, ee, ah. I want, I'm looking for the truth. And I talked to her a week or two before I came down to, to, to amen. And I said, what was it that, that, that won you, that made you want to look into this? And this is the first time she told me this. She said, when, you mentioned, when I said truth, your eyes lit up. I don't know what happened. I, as far as I know, my eyes were always the same. But she saw, <laughs> she, she saw something in me that made her think, He's got truth. and I, We sat down, and I said, let me tell you a little bit. And I told her about why I had transitioned from my group practice to my solo practice. And I, and I offered her some of these things. And I offered her to come to Bible studies. Week one, she didn't come. Week two, she didn't come. Week three, she came. This story has a happy ending. Three weeks from now, I am scheduled to baptize her. And I have never performed a baptism, so that'll be a new experience for me. And, uh, but I'm, I'm excited about it, because here's, here's somebody has actually, their lives have been changed. They're happier. They're freer. They're, they're in God. She's been able to stop her smoking. I mean, just a lot of things have transpired. Her knowledge of scripture and understanding and truth has, has changed enormously. She wrote up a little testimony for me, which I'll be posting on, our, on my website. Uh, just about the changes that she's had. And it's, it's a touching testimony. So that one was listen for God talk. The patients will tell you when they're open to it. You can pick up on it and ask an innocent question that will lead you into a spiritual discussion and to a spiritually rich encounter with your patients. Story number four. Do all of you know what "de novo" means? Is that my language, or is that doctor language? Yeah, out of nothing. Perfect. My 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 staff weren't too familiar with it, but I thought everyone knew it. So, so the, the, this story is introducing spirituality de novo. So you're in there, you're talking with a patient, and the spirit is kind of telling you, impressing you. Talk to them about God. There's no reference to God, no reference to church. There's no, you know, there's nothing to challenge them about. There's nothing to encourage them. What do you do? The Spirit's telling you, and there's no hook. There's no, there's no line to, to naturally progress into that. Well, there are actually... And I have found some that work for me. And once again, they may not work for you, but but one might. And I'd encourage you to try. One thing I'll do is I'll just be very upfront with them. I'm going to change subjects. And it may seem somewhat unrelated, but you'll soon see how it is related. So a patient, by the way, anxiety and depression is the easiest and the most simple way to introduce. You can always introduce the gospel with anxiety and depression. And sometimes I'll do that. They'll come in, I'll take the depression uh, history, the clinically they'll be depressed, I will talk with them, um, and I'll say, you know, I'm gonna change the subject now. It'll seem unrelated, but you'll soon see it is. Where are you with God? Where are you spiritually? Do you believe in God? Well, boom, I just changed gears completely. But they're open to it. And when you preface it with that type of thing, they will listen to you and you can get by with that. I had a patient come to me two weeks ago, a physician in the community came to me, struggling with some anxiety, some depression, some relational issues, and uh, we talked about all this. And I, I said, can I ask you just a, a point blank question? Where are you spiritually? And she said, well, you know, I'm, I'm Native American. I, that's, that, and, and my spiritual beliefs are Native American. And she, went, she volunteered. She went on to say, I would never raise my children with a Judeo-Christian perspective. Well, boom, this was my first visit. I'm not going to challenge her. I'm not going to push her. I just said, oh, OK, that's interesting. And I went on my merry way. I dropped it completely. So I opened the subject, and I closed it about as quick because I could see the time wasn't ripe. Another patient of mine came to me. Again, uh, in for script refills, uh, narcotic script again, quick and easy, three minutes in, three minutes out. How are you doing this month? Da-da-da-da-da. And just in making conversation, I said to her, what's new in life? What's going on? And she leaned forward in her chair, and she said, you know, doctor, my husband's in school. I got called in by administration. She's a biller for a long-term care facility. I got called in by uh, administration, and they admitted residents that are unable to pay, and they are making me responsible for those bills, and I have to have it cleaned up within three months or else I'm fired. And she was clearly worried. She, was un- she didn't know what to do, Her- and she didn't have a second. Her husband was in, in school. So I just asked her point blank. I said, do you believe in God? Do you go to church? And very open, I'd never broached spiritual, I know the, the patient fairly well, never broached spiritual topics with her. She says, you know, I haven't gone to church in a long time, but I do go to a weekly Bible stool. I do, I, I do, I do believe in God. So we talked a little bit more, and I, I asked her, I says, well, would you like more? Would you like s- something additional? She wasn't quite ready. She's, she's like, I'm not sure yet. I need to think about this. So don't push, encourage, but don't push. I says, well, what would work best for you? Could I, w- w- would it be OK if I had you call me in two weeks and tell me what your decision? Oh, yeah, that would be fine. Well, what did I do? I didn't push her, I encouraged her, and I asked for just a wee little bit of a commitment to just nudge her, nudge her that direction. I haven't been back yet, so I don't know the end of that. Okay, the last thing that I want to, that I promised you, I don't know how many of you were there last night, but one of my patients, uh, Cindy Isola, is was with me last night and is here with me today. And I have asked her to come up and share with you. And I've given her permission. Cindy and I have been, she's been my patient for six, seven, eight years now, a long time. And uh, I've given her permission You can ask her some questions if you want and I've given I've asked her to share with you Some of the things that I did that helped draw her in and make her interested in spiritual things And I've also asked her to share with you some of the things I did wrong Because we all make mistakes and I think it's beneficial for you to know The things that don't work as well as the things that do work Cindy come on up How will this work on the microphone In do we have we don't have a second mic We'll just pass it back and forth, okay. Well, Well, they're trying to record it, though. So you get two, I guess. One's one, one's the other, you have to talk them both. Okay, there, i just hold it. So, Cindy, share with us Um, some of the things, including these principles or excluding these principles, that helped draw you in and helped you to be interested in spiritual things?
1: Boy, when I first started to see Dr. Heidinger, um, I never expected to have any doctor talk to me about religion, God, or anything like that. It was the first time that that's ever happened to me. And it took a couple visits. when I came in to talk with them. And I think we were kind of trying to figure out who we were and how things were gonna fit. And um, there was one time when I went in there that I was really going through a hard time. I was having family problems. My marriage was horrible. Um, just, I was in a lot of pain and tired of hearing the same old thing. And Dr. Heidegger asked me about God. He wanted to know where I was with that. And I didn't believe in God at all. He never did anything for me. I never, you know, I wouldn't have gone through all the things that I went through if there was a God. So he wasn't there for me. But as Dr. Heidinger started talking with me, he would actually give me prescriptions with Bible verses to study. That was my medicine. And at first, I thought, what a quack. What is this about? You know, wasn't quite sure that I I really liked it. But as time went on, and I, and I knew...
0: Now that she knows me better, she knows I'm really a quack.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but as time went on, what, I, what had happened... There was a few times where I got a little angry because I wanted to not be in pain anymore. I didn't want to feel this. I didn't want to be a part of having to be on narcotics. I hate them. And I I wanted to feel better. And he'd give me this prescription. And this was more in the first year, I think, that I felt this way. And I was like, I don't want a prescription. I want to feel better. But I started to feel better when I would read the scripture. It actually, it comforted me. And as time went on, I, I learned more and more. And I found myself actually, and I knew that Dr. Heidegger couldn't do any more for me. Nobody has ever been able to do that.
0: I've told Cindy many times, I said, Cindy, you need a different doctor. I can't help you anymore because I've truly been at my wits' end. I haven't known where to go or what to do. And as I say, I'm, I'm honest with my patients. I tell them, tell them what I think. The other thing that's interesting to me is Cindy told me recently that she still has some of those prescriptions, and that's, I don't know, four, five, six years ago. That amazes me. I, I wouldn't expect anybody to keep anything of mine for that long. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, I definitely keep them. But what I, what I found was, is even though I knew he couldn't help me, he could help me spiritually. And I found myself actually making an appointment just to go back for that part. That was more of the medicine. I don't know anybody who really would pay $160 to go and get some scripture <laughs> advice, but it helped me. It, it continued to help That's me. a little closer to oh, you. Sorry. But... Um, There was a, when Dr. Heidegger left the practice that I uh, met him at, he went on to himself and do his own practice. I wasn't sure, because I was going through such a hard time, I wasn't sure where I wanted to go. And the, the people at the other practice said to me, You have to pick. You can't go here and go there. And I wasn't sure where I wanted to go. I was really struggling because, on one hand, there were times that I felt better and that he helped me and kind of woke me up a little bit. But then there were other times where I wanted to feel better physically. It, it had to stop. And I don't know, well I know what it was. It was God helping me, but I prayed about it. And Dr. Heidinger, told, I told him that I didn't know where I wanted to go. I was honest about it. I don't know if I want to do this. I don't know if God has any part of what I need. And as time went on, I realized He's everything. He's everything. He is my healer. He is the one that's gonna help me. He is the one that I have to be patient and as time goes on, I'll continue to heal. And, and after almost dying not too long ago, that definitely woke me up to realize that Dr. is not so much of a quack. He kinda knows what he's talking about. And, um, and that's kind of what, what has moved me along.
0: Thank you, Cindy. Share with us a little bit about some of the things that maybe I pushed you away with instead of drawing you in with.
1: Well, at the very... Well, I would say the first year or two, I'm kind of a stubborn person, so um, it took a while for Dr. Heidinger to get some of this stuff to sink into me. But when I wasn't feeling very good and I wanted answers, sometimes he would talk to me about God, and at that point, that's not what I wanted to hear. And it, it... kind of pushed me away a little bit, and I think that that was the reason why I didn't know what practice I wanted to go to. I was really in that struggle, was I didn't know that I was already I was ready to accept what he had to say to me. It's a lot to take in. And um, so there were the times of those struggles and the, the honesty of, I can't help you, so that got frustrating, <laughs> but I kept going back. I found myself continually going back. It was what he had to share with me that nobody else has ever shared. Nobody has ever come up to me and said, God can help you. And he did that. And that changed a lot of things.
0: From my perspective, about a year ago, we noticed, uh, we've seen in this, uh, my, my office staff have noticed two critical time periods when Cindy has changed. One is, and I don't know how many of you incorporate this into your practices, but the practice of anointing or special prayer for the sick. We actually had an anointing for Cindy about a year ago, and while that didn't uh, while that didn't create the the drive toward God that we had hoped or the healing that we had hoped, it did create in her heart a lot of peace, and she and that was a pivotal thing, her direction shifted, not strongly and not markedly, but a definite shift towards spirituality. And then we saw the other huge shift when she was in the emergency room, which we shared with you last night. That was the other large shift that we've seen in Cindy's. Now, I want you to know that from my perspective as a physician, Cindy has been frustrating. She's a, pardon me, Cindy. She's a high maintenance patient. You know them? Cindy has been lots of work uh, lots of calls uh, and and that type of thing but once again if we will follow God and listen to God God will see us through and God will give us the help so Cindy is anxious and and happy and and waiting and wanting to be baptized at this point We've got some studies to do, and we're working toward those. Cindy still struggles with a lot of pain issues and not feeling good, and so there's still frustration because studies get canceled, and it's hard to make progress. But Cindy is alive, and she's with us, and she's anxious to serve God. She actually comes into my office. She's currently not working. She comes into my office frequently and does, quote-unquote, free labor. She's just so appreciative. In fact, I've thought many times, Cindy appreciates me the way we all should appreciate god this overflowing overwhelming appreciation toward god for what he has done for us i don't always have that like i should i'll be honest i actually have seen it in cindy toward me and i'm thinking oh this is how i should feel toward god so so, so there's good things happening and, and and good changes that we're seeing thank you cindy thank you for sharing and thank you for coming up So in summary, we have discussed uh, three, four, five principles. We've talked about introducing spirituality out of the blue. We've talked about uh, uh, encouraging but not pushing. We've talked quite a bit about getting permission. Could I challenge you? Uh, We've talked about listening for God talk. At this point, I would like to open up uh, the the uh, microphone for any questions that you have. Uh, obviously, again, my way won't be your way for everything, but if you have any questions, I'd be happy to answer any questions and try to clarify some things and, and, and share with you what I know. Yes? How many patients do you see a day? How, the question. question for the piece? I will. I'm going to stick them back on again. Okay, the question was, how many patients do I see a day? Uh, I will answer that question, the long answer. The long answer is, I have been influenced fairly heavily uh, by, by a group called Restoration International, which talks a lot about families and that type of thing. And I've been impressed and strongly impressed that my first duty is to God. My second duty, believe it or not, is to my fam- wife and family as uh, Neblet, Mrs. Neblett talked about in morning devotional this morning, actually. And thirdly, my duty is work. So I have done something that's very atypical. And sometimes I get, th- I get blamed uh, as being lazy and not working too hard. And I sometimes complain about not quite enough money because of my decisions. But the fact of the matter is I work uh, you know, either 11 to 5 or 9 to 3. So the number of patients I see a day is limited on purpose because I believe I need to be home and be an influence for my family. How can I influence my children when they're teenagers if they don't know who dad is? So I've taken that very seriously and limited my work hours. So I see, I try to see, I would like to see about 15 or 16 a day in that five, six hour time period. Um, So yeah, that's what I do. Does spirituality, introducing spirituality, take time? Absolutely, it does take time. It will slow you down some. But I guarantee you, I absolutely promise you, you will find more reward and more peace and more satisfaction in your practice if you do it there's nothing more rewarding because i'm not going home every day looking for ways out and looking for other options and trying to buy christmas tree farms and trying to grow mushrooms commercially which i seriously looked into i mean i was that unsatisfied with medicine so i promise you you will find more satisfaction yes i saw another question Yeah, so the question is, what adjustments, what changes have occurred from my previous practice to this one? A lot. My previous practice, I had banker's hours. I worked 9 to 1, four days a week, and 9 to 5 on the fifth day. And I got a good salary for that. It was a gravy schedule. It was really, really, really nice. I left that group practice, and I formed my own solo practice. I work longer hours. I make a whole lot less money. I'm hoping that will change, but right now that's the honest to goodness truth. One of the big reasons that I transitioned from the group practice to the solo practice was because God had convicted me that I needed to be a true medical evangelist, that I needed to be a true medical missionary. And as I uh, contemplated and studied and prayed and, and tried to understand what all that included, I became absolutely convinced that I had to be able to hire my own staff. Okay? In my group practice, what was I going to do? We had four and five, six providers. I wasn't going to say, you know, fire all the staff. I want all Christians. You can't do that. That's just not fair. So I told them, I'm leaving. And they were not happy. They, they wanted me to stay, actually. And then I had another problem. How do you hire a staff with a passion for outreach? Well, the quick and short answer, and I don't have time to tell you all those stories. What time is it? Yeah, I don't have time to tell you all those stories. But um, I can promise you, by my own personal experience, God will send you the staff. You can't advertise. I advertised in the Gleaner. I advertised in several places. No responses whatsoever. But God has sent me staff. Interestingly enough, I was dead set, absolutely dead set on Adventists and Adventists only. God has not allowed that to happen in any way, shape, or form. I have have two two staff, that's all. Uh, One is Adventist, and the other has never been Adventist. And God won't send me Adventists. And I don't completely understand that. But that is the facts. They have a passion for outreach. They're good Christians. But they're not Adventists. So the one I have now is an Evangelical, even. Yes, Goes to <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So did that answer your question, or do you have additional questions on that line? It, any uh, other questions? Uh, Dr. Uh, when
2: Wendell, I've heard you speak of a desire for uh, a health food restaurant to supplement your practice. Do
0: you have any idea on that? The short update is we got taken for a ride, a big ride. I had a patient who, wanted, who came to me and uh, wanted to build us a restaurant. And I thought, wow, this is too good to be true. Anytime it's too good to be, it probably is. Well, what happened in the long and short? He took us for a ride. He was wanting stuff from me. And in the end, I found out he spent many years behind bars. He's, uh, he, he's stolen. He's, uh, he's <laughs> anything but honest and so yes we had wanted to do that we were working that direction we thought we had a funding source for that and that's all kind of blown out the window but you raise an interesting point and that is uh, as as i've worked along with my staff tiffany she's here today sitting with cindy actually she came up with what i think is just a brilliant idea and that is You know, we all struggle with lifestyle medicine. And it takes so much time. And how do you get paid for it? And et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, Tiffany came to me one day, and she explained that She says, why don't you just have a a program? You see a patient every two weeks. And you do it for diabetes, or hypertension, or hyperlipidemia, or whatever. And you charge the regular code, 213, whatever, for diabetes or hypertension. And five minutes can be spent on the science of, of the disease process. Five minutes can be spent on the spiritual and, of course, you'll get their permission before. Most of my patients want the spiritual, it's few that don't want it, to be honest. And then five minutes can be spent on reviewing where they were and giving them assignment for the future. So that's a way, it's not a restaurant and it's not a lifestyle center, but it's a way to begin integrating the lifestyle and incorporating the spiritual with it in a very, uh, you know, in a, what should I, a methodic way where you have it there and planned for. So we're in the midst of developing that program. Tiffany. I just have to comment too because I know all you can't hear me at the Well, I'll repeat it. So I'll repeat that, I'm sure you hit it, I'll repeat it for the microphone, the audio verse. Um, Once we do that uh, lifestyle education, they'll be more engaged and more interested and more likely to follow through with what the church will be doing, uh, CHIP programs, a cooking school, lifestyle related related type thing. And they'll be sort of primed, if you will, and hopefully it'll be an easy lead in to Get church members involved by the way. I'm anxious to have other people involved with my patients the studies show that about seven it takes about seven Contacts with an Adventist with different Adventists before somebody becomes an Adventist So you really want to spread this wealth of patients around as much as possible and get them talking with different people um, Because it takes those different contacts to finally Uh, help a person toward making a decision. Yes, Okay. the question is why did I decide to become a physician did it come out of the blue or did I uh, was I medically evangelistically oriented all along the reason I decided to be a physician was all for the wrong reasons I grew up as a Pharisee doing all the right things for all the wrong reasons and so I grew I chose to do medicine in retrospect at the time I never would have admitted it but in the retrospect I chose medicine for money it's the wrong reason clearly and completely But that's really, in in truth, what happened. And that's why, years later, when I moved to Klamath Falls 10 years ago, I was so dissatisfied that I went and I said, I want out of this. I don't care about the money anymore. I don't like this. I don't want this. And uh, that's when I struggled with God. And God said, no, I want you in medicine. Uh, Dr. Scow, is that? okay? Any advice? Well, Dr. R- surgeons still have repeat customers. Every specialty discipline has its back pain, so to speak. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, the principles, so, so Dr. Ranzinger is going to want to use uh, some of the principles. He may be introducing it a little bit more on the de novo basis. He may be asking to, to challenge the follow-up is going to be a little bit more challenging. So the Cindy's, he might be missing, because this has been a six and seven and eight year process for Cindy. The Terry's, though, he will catch, because that was, boom, the first visit, and she was there and interested. So I don't know if that answers your question very well, but that's about as good as I'm going to come up with, I think. (laughs) You had another question. The question is, am I fully computerized, and does the computer interfere with me and my patients? The answer is yes. I do have electronic medical records. We use it extensively. I have found it to, in fact, do what it says, and that's probably it saves me half to one FTE, so it does save money in the long run. Um, It's helped organize our office. It's helped organize our staff. I do not find that it gets between me and the patients. It works fairly well for me despite the fact that Tiffany hates it with a passion What's your software? <laughs> I Am using uh, EMDs my personal conclusion is EMR is good, but it has not arrived yet the, I looked I've looked at other programs EMDs is one of the highest rated at least within the class of money that I can afford uh, I just my conclusion is EMDs have I mean EMRs have not fully arrived I would still keep what I have, I think, but they haven't fully arrived. Other questions? Yes? Do you document in the record that you discuss spirituality or You know, that's a good question. The question is, do I document in my record that I've discussed spirituality? I'm pretty shy on that. I don't do a lot of that. But I, I, I'm, I'm honest with my patient. I may spend 15, 20 minutes sometimes talking about spiritual things with my patients. And I will just tell them, you know, I'm not putting all of this in the record. And, and what, I, what I do is I say, discussed alternative medicine with the patient. And that's my cue that I know I talked about spiritual things with them. And I, I'm even more proactive than that. I tell the patient, I say, you know what? Uh, I'm sorry, but I guarantee you I'm going to forget this conversation two and three weeks from now. Please remind me that we talked about this and this, and we can pick up and go from there. And the patients are okay with that. They're fine with that. They'll come in, and they'll jog my memory, and boom, we're off and running again we're from, from where we were last time. Wow, lots of questions. Yes?
2: How often do you
1: run behind and late on your schedule because of spiritual conversations? Tiffany?
0: Tiffany? <laughs> <laughs> So for the uh, record, uh, Tiffany, who runs my, who's my office manager and receptionist, has found that generally speaking, it's not a problem. And it doesn't get me that far behind, especially when the uh, MA and uh, the front office is in tune with where you're going and what you're trying to do. Occasionally, it does become a problem. I have found personally that sometimes I think I'm way behind. God usually, not every time, but God usually prepares it. And the next will be a quick narcotic refill, in and out. And I've just saved. I schedule 20 minutes appointments. And then I double book two or three or four times during the day. So it's probably closer to 15 or 17 minutes. So yeah, no, I've, I've been able. You know, some weeks I will go. Sometimes I'll go for a week without much of a spiritual conversation. And then, what, one day last week, I think I talked about deep spiritual things with almost half of the patients. I mean, it varies quite a bit. And I'm sure some of that is me and based on my walk with God and how in tune I am with God. And some of it's just just life, I'm sure. Yes?
2: You mentioned narcotic refills. Are these patients kind of like pain clinic? Do you have contracts with them? Uh, what are their usual diagnoses?
0: Oh, The narcotics thing, I have sweated and and, and stewed and, and, and fussed and been frustrated with. <laughs> Where I'm ending up at this point is, I was doing every three month visits. I've changed that after talking with a pain specialist and doing every month visits. That's working out a lot better. Yes, I try to have both a pain contract on them and a specialty backup on them saying, yes, this is reasonable, this is okay, that type of thing. I'm not completely comfortable with where I am on that even yet. I'm thinking I may need to be doing more with, urine drug screens. I, I'm finding I'm still being taken. I, I'm still being abused, quote unquote, if you will. And, and that's bothersome to me. So that's a, that's a work in evolution. Cindy actually has been very anxious. You've heard her story. She, she really wants to work with us. Her health at this point is kind of not allowed that. But she actually has a, a, her, her specialty and expertise is in addiction and she's in the process of formulating for me, and I didn't ask, she offered to do this, but formulating uh, some some, uh, testing materials to help me figure out, okay, these folks are addicted, watch out for them, be careful. These folks are totally normal, keep going, you're doing the wrong thing. And I'm actually thinking about even offering that service to the community physicians Because we're all in the same boat on this. We're all scared of this. And we all know that some of it's legitimate. And we're struggling with how to do it. And we don't have the addiction and alcohol background or the addiction background to completely figure out these patients and decipher which ones are taking us for a ride or not. So I think it might be a useful thing for the community. But we haven't quite gotten there yet. Yes? What
1: percentage of your patients do you pray with?
0: You know, the prayer issue, I think I'm negligent on. It's a small percentage, actually. I have a lot of spiritual conversations with my patients. But as far as praying with them, I personally don't pray with that many. And I think I'm ne- negligent on that. And one reason I think that is I was recently, well, Todd and, Todd and William and I have special music tomorrow. So I was, we've been practicing because they're about an hour from us. And in the process, I was talking with Todd Guthrie a little bit. And he says... 85 to 90 percent of his patients want prayer he's become known as the praying physician in his community and that's kind of a take-home message to me because I don't pray with you know but it's less than 10 percent I would say but that tells me I need to be changing there I need to be growing in that area and begin praying more with with my patients because I think they'd be receptive to it am I running out of time timekeeper we're there (laughs) there.
2: I would just first of all like to thank Dr. Heidinger. It's um, difficult as a physician to share areas that you're growing with. And um, Wendell, I think, has done, Dr. Heidinger has done a really good job of being vulnerable. I think the best way other physicians learn is by hearing of other mistakes and other experiences, and you can kind of go through that without having to do that yourself. The other thing I just want to very warmly affirm, Cindy, for taking time out of your schedule, for being willing to come and share with us, for being willing to be vulnerable. You know, you're amidst a group of doctors and dentists, but everybody here has areas of hurts that we're looking for God to heal us in as well. And one day, by the grace of God, we're all going to be able to meet as new creatures on the other side, on that new shore that God has prepared for each one of us. Could we stand and have prayer together? And I'm going to ask Wendell to have the closing prayer.
0: Our Father in heaven, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your mercy. I pray that as we... Go about tomorrow that we would continue to receive your Holy Spirit and the blessing that we would be surrendered and completely surrendered so that we could receive the blessing you want to give to us. And I further pray that, that lives would be changed and that we would be new creations and new physicians and physicians who whose primary purpose is actually to work for you. And and by the way, oh, it earns me a livelihood and it feeds my family. This is my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.
2: This media was produced by Audioverse for Amen, Adventist Medical Evangelism Network. If you would like to learn more about Amen, please visit www.amensda.org